So faith is like fatherhood. Let's think through that for a second. Faith is like fatherhood. There is confidence when you become a father or a mother that your children will turn out to be good human beings, but there's no certainty for that. It's a journey of trust into tomorrow. And it's okay to have doubts along the way because sometimes our kids will go ways that maybe we do not desire them to go. And yet, what we find is when things go sideways, as sometimes they do when we are parents, there is legitimate concern for the safety and well-being of our children, but sometimes there's not clarity. Now, last week, I mentioned in this series, Counterweight, Balancing Our Understanding of Faith, that there was a priest by the name of Father John Cavanaugh who went to see Mother Teresa to pray that he has clarity for some decisions that he needed to make in his life. And she decided to give him this information. Take a look at these couple of slides here. Faith has doubts because it is not certainty. We'll clarify that in a moment. What we do know is faith develops by evolving, adapting, and doubting. And next week we'll finish this series on exploring as well. So when John Cavanaugh went to visit Mother Teresa because he felt that she could give him clarity to some of the decisions that he needed to make in his life, she responded by saying, I will not pray clarity for you. Clarity is the crutch of the Christian, but I will pray trust for you that your trust will increase. Now, John Cavanaugh says, but you have had tons of clarity in your life. It seems that you are doing what God wants you to do. And she responded by saying this, I have never had clarity. I have never had clarity. What I have had always is trust. So I will pray that you will trust God. Boy, that's a profound insight into life that many times we don't have clarity. Sometimes we have a lot of uncertainty, but we can pray for trust. Now, today, here's my thesis. Doubting one's faith is a very tough place to be, but it's absolutely necessary at times in order to move forward in our development. Sometimes we look at faith in such a way that we think it's our faith that holds us together when sometimes catastrophes and difficulties come into our life. And sometimes they can be big, and sometimes they can be a series of small things that come in. And what we try to do is we try to push those aside. We try to get out beyond the doubt that it creates inside of us, and we try to do so as quickly as we can. Sometimes when we push those doubts to the side, we think that they'll just go away. But they don't. They continue to follow us, and we fail to realize There is a benefit to doubt. You know, sometimes when you feel like your faith in God is slipping away, it can be unsettling, it can be disorienting, and it can be downright frightening when we feel that inside of us. Rarely do we anticipate that doubt is actually a benefit. Sometimes we will doubt that God cares for us, that God's listening, or maybe even that God knows who we are. 
Sometimes questions will arise within us. Maybe the reason I'm going through doubt in my life is I'm not smart enough. I'm not sincere enough. Or maybe I haven't surrendered enough. So it's all on me to somehow get out of this doubt, somehow to be, move beyond it and to let life settle down again. But that's religion talking, that's not reality. You see, the default of religion is always to place the blame upon the shoulders of people. And that is, it's all your fault. The reason you're going through this doubt is because you're not smart enough, you're not sincere enough, or you haven't surrendered enough. Now, whatever it is, you're doing something wrong. And I think many of us have heard that all our life in religion. It's all your fault. But that's a system that is talking. It's not God himself. So the one thing that we do is we try to get beyond doubt. But I want to suggest that doubt creates that equilibrium and that balance in life that keeps you developing. Because doubt can do things spiritually that nothing else can do. Sometimes we live our life like a castle, don't we? We want to build walls so that we're safe and comfortable and things are familiar. What if comfortable and safe actually is detrimental to you? What if it doesn't work the way you think it works? Doubt tears down those castle walls and forces us on a journey. And it's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of weakness. Actually, it is a sign of growth. You see, doubting, although painful and although frightening, we think we are leaving God behind, but we aren't. We're only leaving behind our idea of God, and there's a big difference. The way we think about God, what we project upon God, as to what he is like, that's all coming from inside us. And so many times doubt forces us to rethink what God is like. We just sang, good, good father. For many people that are caught up in oppressive systems of religion, they've never thought of God as good. They never thought of God as a father. And sometimes they associate even the word father on this Father's Day with something that is negative. But what if we're honest. What if we say to God, I don't know what you're like. I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if you're good or not. I have doubts about that. I look at the world around me and I see all that's going on in the world around me or within my family or things that have happened within my experience and I wonder about your goodness. But religion will tell you, push it down, bury that, move beyond that, because that's not good. God's only going to get mad at you for thinking those things, even though you and I both know, deep down in the recesses of our mind, we are thinking those things. And when people use religion to just push it aside or to bury it, you know what often happens? They're not honest. And because they're not honest, They will often struggle internally with things like depression and anxiety and fear and so forth. Now, there are some people that put on a good facade. And the facade is, I've got God all figured out. But have you ever noticed the people that have God all figured out become jerks in the process? Because in order for them to maintain that sense of certainty 
What they need to do is take your doubts and your questions and your objections and to push them down and say, you're not smart enough, you're not sincere enough, and you don't surrender enough. And they put it back on your shoulders. God cannot be possessed by human beings. This God that created the cosmos, this God that created billions and billions of galaxies and billions and billions and billions of stars is a God that can't be possessed by an individual or a religion or a system of thought. But what we can do is continue to open ourselves up to learn more about what God is like. And that's where Jesus comes in. I think he begins to help us to shape a better uh, picture of what God is like. God happens to be like all the things I like. Isn't that amazing how we do that as human beings? We are made in God's image, the scripture tells us. Then we turn around and make God in our own image. But here's what doubt does. It shatters that mirror. That mirror that we use to say this is what God is like. He's just like the man in the mirror, just like the guy or gal that's looking in the mirror in the morning. You see, by God's mercy, God does not leave us where we are. And doubt is that which moves us to begin to understand that we're dying to certain things, dying to false beliefs, dying to things that have been misunderstood or misrepresented. Doubt signals that we are in the process of dying to ourselves and our ideas about God so we can open up to better ideas and surrender ourselves to the fact that we will always ask questions the rest of our lives. You see, this isn't a one-time thing. It's not a one-time decision. Rather, it's this process that we go through. It's the norm. And the things that you learn today will be things that you will question tomorrow. But it's what causes you to grow. It's what causes you to stretch. So don't run away from doubt. Don't fight it. And don't think of it as an enemy. Pass through it patiently. Pass through it honestly. Pass through it courageously. When you are in doubt, you are in a period of transformation. And that's a good thing. So we welcome it as a gift. Because it is that which causes us to move beyond our laziness or our apathy. You see, life is meant to be lived, lived to the fullest, enjoyed, and it's meant to be developed over the course of a whole lifetime. And that's why in some cultures, those who are elderly, those who are seniors, those individuals that have the gray hair and have bad eyesight and bad hearing are considered the elders of the village that have accumulated wisdom over the course of their life. They're not the ones that are to be pushed aside and ignored because they have lived through this process time and time again and they've come out the other side and they have something valuable that they can share with the up-and-coming generation. Doubt usually begins with an uh-oh moment. Some things that don't add up. Some things that sometimes, even though it's not intentional, it's just there. Now, I just gave to you several different descriptions of the Apostle Paul, didn't I? All right? So early in the service. Here is an individual who in Acts chapter 7 is approving of the stoning of Stephen. And so he decides he's going to carry on that system of thought. He never stopped to doubt 
that it was wrong. Actually, what Saul at the time did not do was say, how can killing an innocent man, even if I disagree with him, how can that be right? So what he does is he takes off in Acts chapter 8, and he begins to move into different areas where people who begin to trust and follow Jesus are meeting and worshiping and that type of thing, and he's going to arrest them, and he's going to throw them in prison, but God will have to shake him up. And if you, this is a very long passage of scripture, so we're not going to read it this morning. But in Acts chapter 9, he's on his way to a village called Damascus. And it's there he wants to arrest people and throw them into prison. And there's this blinding light, the text tells us, that knocks Saul off his horse. And this is what it says. Meanwhile, Saul, this is Acts chapter 9, verse 1, was still breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem as he neared Damascus on his journey. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. It was an uh uh-oh moment. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, in this uh uh-oh moment, Saul is forced to doubt what he had believed, what he had believed his whole life. And what we're told is he was blind for three days, and there was an individual that had to take him on into the village, and at the end of those three days, his sight comes back to him, and he begins to see not just physically, he begins to see emotionally and psychologically and spiritually different, and he comes to a belief in Jesus that Jesus was this individual that could show us the way to a better understanding of what God is like. And he has what is called a conversion. He gives his life over to Jesus, and now this once jihad terrorist is now becoming an apostle. Now he has quite a task in front of him, because as he travels and establishes churches in the book of Acts, these churches have different characteristics. And so he will often write letters, and that's what the New Testament mostly is, letters that are written to these churches to try to correct them. And he writes to the Colossae church that this group who um, has a variety of different types of people that are dwelling in it and worshiping together, and yet he's not fully come to a realization that slavery in and of itself is wrong. There's no emancipation proclamation in uh, Paul's mind. What he has, though, is this encouragement to the slaves to somehow better the relationship between the slaves and the masters when he says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. He's simply reflecting the outlook of his own day, the context of his own day. But he begins to make process and progress. And I told you about a man that he met when he was in prison, a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. And he hears Onesimus' story, and he writes back to Philemon, the master, and says, welcome him back. But don't just welcome him back as a slave. Don't punish him. Rather, welcome him back as a brother in Christ. So you might say the book of Philemon is almost like Paul's emancipation proclamation his own Juneteenth in the will of God. And yet, humanity had so much more to develop, didn't they? 
to move beyond that type of mentality. And so finally, Paul begins to get this big picture in Galatians 3.28. He says, there is no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. You are brothers and sisters. You're part of the family on earth and in the family of God as well. You know, Paul probably would not have fully understood the things that we face in our own day and age, the fight for civil rights, the fight, ongoing fight against racism, the ongoing fight in this Pride Month to say that individuals who love each other deserve to live their life with each other in love. And yet we have people that push back on that as well. Paul would have had a binary view of, of that uh, relationship as well. And so we see laws like don't say gay that's still being thrown around in our own day and age when gay is a reality, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Some people love other people the same gender and they want to spend the rest of their lives with them in committed love. But it takes doubt and it takes development to begin to move beyond what we have been told many times for many, many years. And yet, that Romans 13 passage that I mentioned just a moment ago, the bottom line of it says, love does no harm to its neighbor. Love does no harm to its neighbor. So I have used this same individual, Saul, Paul, as an illustration of a journey of faith on a long and winding road. You know the Beatles song, right? The long and winding road that leads to your door will never disappear. I've seen that road before. It always leads me here. It leads me to your door. Love does no harm to neighbor. So for many people, faith and certainty is their source of security and sometimes self-esteem as well. And so they push aside the doubts that come in that force us to rethink our categories. Sometimes it's often upsetting to redraw our mental maps. But when familiar dogmas are suddenly carried away by the Spirit, we understandably want uh, to chase after them and get them back. But God continues to work inside of us. And certainty insists on the need to be right rather than the participation of developing and growing and stretching. Certainty is built on the belief that our data source of knowing about God and what He is like is completely clear. And the reality is none of us have a complete picture of what God is like except what we understand, as the Apostle John tells us in his letters, God is spirit, God is light, and God is love. And if you take those three things, you can continue to grow and stretch. So how do you apply this? Well, doubt can do things spiritually that nothing else can do. Doubt forces us to look at God and who we think that God is. Doubt signals that we are in the process of dying to ourselves and our own mentalities to better ideas about God. So maybe what we need in our own day and age is some intentional doubting because faith doubts. When should you doubt? Well, you should doubt when your faith justifies violence. You should doubt. 
If your faith justifies violence against somebody else, you should doubt it. Number two, you should doubt your faith when it defends systemic prejudice and wants to keep other people from being treated as equals. Thirdly, you should doubt your faith when it is selective on who is worthy of love. This person is worthy of love, that one's not. And if you can kind of use that as a parameter, then what you'll find is you can continue to grow and stretch, and you can begin to understand that this is a long and winding road that we travel. Doubt is a creative force that allows us to see in different ways, maybe that we couldn't see before. Alternate ways of seeing can steer people out of circles that have paralyzed them, sometimes for many years. Doubt does not mean disengagement. What it means is engaging. Faith isn't knowing all the time. Faith isn't certainty all the time. But faith is trust. And faith is hope. And I'm hopeful and I trust that where I've missed it in the course of my life, and I've done it time and time again, at least I can understand that I can always make the choice of leaning into compassion and inclusion and love as the better way to go. So I'm going to invite Emma and Corey back up, and they're going to sing a a song. Uh, Actually, Emma's going to sing it for us. But here's what I want to say as they prepare to lead us. Doubt is sacred. Doubt is God's instrument. It will arrive in God's time and will come from unexpected places, places out of your control. And when it does, resist the fight or flight impulse. Pass through it patiently, honestly, and courageously for however long it takes. True transformation takes time. So as we close our service this morning, would you stand with me, please? I have a closing prayer that I'd like to read. Eternal Spirit, earth maker, pain bearer, life giver, source of all that is and that shall be, Father and mother of us all, loving God in whom is heaven, the hallowing of your name echo throughout the universe. The way of your justice be followed by the peoples of the world. Your heavenly will be done by all created beings. Your commonwealth of peace and freedom sustain our hope and come on earth. With the bread we need for today, feed us. And the hurts we absorb from one another, forgive us. In times of temptation and testing, strengthen us. From trials too great to endure, spare us. From the grip of all that is evil, free us. For you reign in the glory of the power that is love, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for coming out this morning. May God's blessings be on you. May his strength be yours in abundance. And may you have a wonderful day today. Happy Father's Day. Happy Pride Day. Happy Juneteenth. God bless you. We'll see you soon.